Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, updated. Luke 16, 1 through 13. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's de debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked a second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you your property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for allowing us to be here in your house, to hear it, to receive it. I ask, O oh Lord, that you will use my thoughts and my words to be your own, Lord, that you will speak to us what we need to hear from this word this morning, and that you will lead us, O oh Lord, as we apply it to our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. No one likes to get audited. Anybody love that call from the IRS telling you that they're going to audit your taxes? Nobody. Auditing means that somebody found something wrong with your math. It means that they looked at your numbers and they didn't add up. It means that something that should be there is not there or something is missing or overestimated. Whenever you are being audited, it's done by a higher authority. It's always somebody who has authority over you to be able to hold you accountable for having the right numbers, for making sure that your math is correct. Normally, the person that audits us has a recourse. If it's your boss and they audit your work, they can fire you if you didn't do a good job. If it's your spouse, Consequences could be dire. If it's your best friend, you can be in hot water. 
because you didn't live up to your promises. Whoever is auditing you always has some kind of recourse. Throughout Scripture, we find that God is always addressing our faithfulness in our use of resources and our lack thereof at times. He talks about stewardship throughout Scripture, how we manage, what we manage, what we're entrusted to manage, what we do with it, what we don't do with it, and even when we fail to even realize that it's all God's. When it comes to managing what has been entrusted to us, God does hold us accountable. He never holds you accountable for what you don't have. He never holds you accountable for what you don't receive. But every single thing that you have received, you are accountable for before God. In the scripture that we have read in chapter 16, we find God sharing this parable. But before we jump into that parable, we have to understand where this sits in the gospel of Luke. Before this, Jesus has talked to the rich young man who came wanting to follow Jesus, but couldn't do it because he had many possessions and wasn't willing to give them up to follow Jesus. And immediately after this appears the, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, where the rich man tormented Lazarus and didn't care for Lazarus during his life. And then when they, they pass away, Lazarus is in heaven and the rich man is in hell. And basically, the one that was rich in life ended up poor in eternity. And the one that was poor in life ended up rich in eternity. It's important for us to understand that context because, because Jesus is talking about things that have to do with possessions, that have to do with how we handle our money, that have to do with how we handle our wealth, that have to do with how we are held accountable for that which has been put in our care. The parable that we hear about today is about a dishonest manager who was accused by his master of wasting his resources. So he heard from somebody. There was a whistleblower. You know what a whistleblower is, right? Somebody else who said, hey, you need to pay attention to what he's doing or she's doing because they are not doing the right thing. And basically, this whistleblower went and told the master, you know, this, this manager is squandering your wealth. That which you have given him to manage, he is not using it for your benefit. He's using it for his. Now, when we read parables, a lot of times we read them and we go, wow, this is, these illustrations that Jesus is using are great for their time. This really applies back to Jesus' time. When he talks about, you know, the parable of the sower, you know, most of, a lot of us don't plant anymore. We don't, we don't relate to it in the same way. But when it comes to this parable about the dishonest manager, it could easily be ripped off the headlines today. How many of you have heard of Ponzi schemes? How many of you have heard of dishonest managers taking all their clients' money and using it to buy themselves Ferraris and big houses? It, this, this story by Jesus could have been ripped from the headlines in Newsweek or MSNBC or Fox or CNN of people that have abused their power and taken advantage of those that entrusted them with their resources. This dishonest manager was caught. 
And the rich man said, I want an accounting of everything you've done. I want you to give me an accounting of everything that I have under your care. Now, I don't think the rich man was very wise in this. You know what they do nowadays when they fire you from a job for cause? They have a police officer stand next to you, the security guard, as you pack your desk into a little box. And you know what they do? They escort you out of the building. You don't get a week, oh, you know, you're fired, but come the rest of the week and, and Friday will be your last. No, when you're fired with cause, they take you out of the building that day. Why? Because they figured if you did wrong already, if you've already misbehaved on the job, they're not going to give you extra time to do some more bad things. But this, this rich man gave this manager that was already this honest time to go ahead and give an accounting of what he had done. And so the scripture says that this dishonest manager went away and started having a little powwow with himself. What am I going to do? I'm out of a job. I'm not going to be the manager anymore. I'm not going to have the power. I'm not going to have the resources. I'm not going to have the position. I'm not going to have the influence that I have right now. What am I going to do? He said, I'm, I'm just not into digging, not strong enough to be doing manual labor. And I'm too proud to go around begging for people to give me stuff. What am I going to do? You know, when you get fired from a job, you immediately have to think about what your next step is. You don't have time to just go, oh, well, I got fired. No, you got to start going, okay, where am I going to go to get my resources to pay my bills? And so this dishonest manager came up with a plan. He said, I know exactly what I'm going to do. While I'm still the manager, I'm going to use what I have to my benefit. And the scripture says that he started calling all of the creditors that owed money to his master. And he said to them, how much do you owe? 800? 900? Let's cut that down. Let, let's make it 450 on your bill. You see, what was happening here was that this dishonest manager was operating out of that mentality that I mentioned last week or the week before about bartering. I do for you, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. I get do you a solid, you do me a solid later on. I do something good for you, you're going to owe me later. And so he began to forgive parts of the debts to all of these creditors. The one that owed a thousand bushels of wheat, he cut to 800. And do you think that these people that owed the rich man didn't know what he was doing? They were co-conspirators in this whole scheme. You know, so many times people get taken by Ponzi schemes, not because they're dumb, but because they're greedy. Because they get greedy. They know something's wrong with this whole thing, but, oh, you know, I'm going to make a lot of money on it. And they get greedy. And these people that were engaging in this with the rich with, with the rich man's money, were doing it knowing that they were doing something wrong. They were, they were changing their bills. You ever get your power bill and go, you know, they say I owe 100, but I'm just going to make it 80. How, how, far, how far will that get you? Not very far, right? Doesn't work that way. And they knew that. But this 
this honest manager had the position still and the power, and he began to do that. The scripture tells us that when the rich man found out what the dishonest manager had done, he praised him for it, for his shrewdness. He said, boy, you were clever in doing all this. You were clever. I didn't really think this through, keeping you on the job for another week. You are really clever in doing this. And this is where our understanding of this parable really goes into a, a frenzy because we, we go, wait a second, wasn't the manager supposed to be God? Well, God would never say that. God would never praise evil. You know, our society praises evil all the time. There are TV shows whose whole purpose is to praise these criminals that have done these incredibly terrible things. You ever seen American Greed? It's a show completely about how these people have taken other people's money. And a lot of times when they're interviewing people, they, they sound like they're admiring these thieves for how clever they were in their deception. When you see that in the scripture and you see that this manager was praising the that this uh, rich man was praising the dishonest manager, you immediately realize that you can't put God as the manager and you can't put God as the rich man. He's neither one. He's not in that part of the parable. He can't be either one of these two people because these two people are two evil men doing evil things and praising each other for it. The rich man and the dishonest manager we're simply looking to get richer and to have more. And all they could see in each other was, why didn't I think of that, gaining other people's favor with my wealth? I should have thought about that. You see, the shrewdness of evil men will lead them to praise each other for their evil acts, will, will lead them to do even worse things as they learn from each other how to do evil in the world. That's why we get copycats when it comes to crime. The master commended that dishonest manager for cleverly ripping people off. Think about how twisted that is. You know, you really killed them well. Tell, tell that to a murderer. Does that sound great? However, Jesus still has a lesson to teach his disciples in this parable because he doesn't just tell a story for telling a story. He still has a point to make. He tells them that the people of the world behave in this way, that they look at wealth as something to be attained for their own good, for their own purposes, just so that they can continue to accumulate more. And, and that when we look at wealth as Christians, we don't look at it as an end but a means, that it is a means for us to expand the kingdom of God and to proclaim his goodness and his grace, that we can't be dishonest, that we can't lack integrity, that we can't do things the, the way the world would do it, that we have to do them right before God. Jesus was basically given the worst example. He's saying, don't be like these guys. Don't be like these guys in this way. Because the people of the world deal in shrewdness. But you are 
children of the light. And the children of the light are led by something different. They're led by the wisdom of God, which is far superior than the wisdom of men. How does a Christian use his or her wealth? To do what Jesus said, which was to make friends, so that they will receive them in their eternal homes? You become a blessing to the people around you with what you have. You become a blessing to such a point that when you get to heaven, they'll be there because you did something to share Jesus Christ and his love with them. They'll be there because you showed them kindness and love. You, they'll be there because you forgave them when they wronged you. They'll be there because you showed them a different way to react in the middle of their circumstances. Christians show by their actions that they love God above things and they show people that they can live a different way. You know, in a way, Jesus was telling us, use your money for evangelism. Use your money to reach other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Use your resources, your time, your energy to establish relationships with people, friendships with people that lead them to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But in order for that to happen, you need to be faithful, not clever. It's not about being clever. It's about being faithful to the call that God has placed on your life to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus is not after disciples who aim for financial security. He's trying to mold disciples who have eternal security by trusting in him as Lord and Savior. That's a very different goal. That's a very different aim. As Jesus interprets the parable for them, he tells them that whoever can be trusted with very little will be trusted with much, but that whoever cannot be trusted with very little will not be given more and will not be given their own things to manage. And you see, that makes perfect sense to me because I don't know how many of you learned to drive in your parents' oldest vehicle, but I did. 1978, Ford station wagon, bright red. My friends in school made fun of me because it looked like a fire truck without the light. That thing swerved in the back, it was so heavy. But that's where I learned how to drive and I had to prove that I could be trusted with that vehicle before I got to drive the nicer one and the more modern one, and the more expensive one. I had to show that I could drive it without crashing it and take care of it and fill it with gas and make sure that I did what was needed for it to be maintained. And as I went through my years, then I was trustworthy enough to be helped to buy my first car. How many of you remember your first car? It wasn't the best, but it was yours, right? And there was something special about graduating up to your first vehicle that was yours, that you could, you could actually own, and, and you felt that responsibility and that joy of being graduated up. But you didn't start there. You had to prove that you were trustworthy first. You had to build yourself up to that point. And then you were trusted with that 
which was better. Jesus was trying to teach his disciples that this is the way that God deals with us. And he says, here, I'm going to give you some of my glory. Let's see how you handle it. I'm going to give you some of my miracles. Let's see how you handle it. I'm going to give you some of my revelation. Let's see how you handle it. And depending on how we handle it, he decides whether he gives us more to be responsible for, more to manage, more to administrate, more to receive. And he says, if you have been found trustworthy, and he will trust you with more. This scripture is really good news for us. You know why? Because God has found this church trustworthy. God has found this church trustworthy because look how far God has brought you. How God has provided for your needs. In years when you thought the church was going to burn down and every pipe was going to burst. In times where maybe members moved away or passed away and you wondered how you were going to make it. In the beginning of this very year when we were in the red and not the black. And God still continued to be faithful to say, I'm going to trust you with more. I'm going to trust you with more. You did well with one projector. Here goes a second projector. You did well with a handful of kids. Let me give you 20. You've done well with what I've given you. Let me give you more because you have proven to be a good and faithful servant. And I'm going to be glorified through you. When we show good stewardship and integrity in what we have from the Lord, he pours even more blessings upon us because he wants to do more. In the closing verses, Luke reminds us of something that we have read before and we even preached from another scripture several weeks ago, that we can't serve two masters, that we must choose whether we will serve God or money. Sometimes we need to have that reminder because we need to remember that we're not after money. We're after God's favor and God's grace and God's mercy. We're after God's salvation and God's forgiveness. We're after God's presence and God's grace. The scripture says that we put, when we put the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, everything else is added on. But let me tell you, it doesn't work backwards. When we don't put God first, things don't work out. When we think we know better, things don't work out. When we think we're going to be shrewd and clever, things don't work out. They only work out when we put God first and we trust him to give us wisdom. How will we manage what God has entrusted us with? The answer is up to us. Will we rely on our own understanding or will we seek God's will, God's wisdom, and God's grace? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you because you have continued to pour your blessings upon this church and this ministry and this congregation. 
You have continued, O oh Lord, to bless our church with ministries and outreach and children and ESL and so many other things, Lord, that help us to reach our community for you. We ask, O oh Lord, that we will be found trustworthy in all of these things, that you will increase your blessing and your provision and your direction and your guidance, that your Holy Spirit will be strongly with us as we continue to make decisions that affect the ministry of the church. Lord, we just want your will to be done in our lives. Help us to follow you wherever you lead us. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we continue to worship. The altar is always open if you want to come forward for prayer. As we continue to surrender ourselves to God, to put him first, and to seek his will in our lives.